talking about the kingdom for uh, the last month and a half, and I want to continue talking about that. I've been talking about the kingdom of God, talking about how to operate in the kingdom, what the kingdom is, who our king is, which is the most important part of this whole discussion is who our king is. And today, uh, I want to take another step forward in that. This last week, I uh, woke up one morning, and uh, God speaks to me at all different kinds of times, different ways, different methods, different uh, reasons. And uh, most of the time, I'm not expecting it. Most of the time, when, when the Lord starts talking to me, it's when he wants to. Not when I'm saying, okay, God, now it's time for me to listen to you. Go ahead and I got, you, I got some time for you. Go ahead. We have to be listening for God. We have to be open for when he wants to move, when he wants to speak, when he wants to do something, and then make room for him. We, we let him be Lord. We yield ourselves to him. Well, I, just, I woke up one morning, and two thoughts just popped into my head. And, and not totally separate from each other, but seemingly it's like, well, how do these two stories correlate? And I've been meditating on this all week long. And I want to go through them, and I believe the Lord wants to talk to us um, specifically about some things in our lives, and especially some things in the kingdom. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. I encourage you to bring your Bible. Sometimes we have the verses up on the screen, and sometimes we don't. Today, we don't. And so I encourage you to to, uh, bring your Bible, because you never know when I'm going to make you look it up yourself. Matthew chapter 8. Very famous passage. You've heard this story before. But there's truths about the kingdom that will help us here. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So here's a, a story about a man that, that uh, comes up to Jesus. Obviously, he had heard about Jesus. Obviously, he had heard about what Jesus was doing, what Jesus could do. He had heard the stories of healings. He had heard the stories of people being set free. He had heard these things from everybody else, and, he, and, and all of a sudden, he finds himself in need. Interestingly enough, he doesn't come for himself, does he? 
He comes for somebody else. He comes for a servant who is paralyzed and at home can't come. Can't, you know, it would be extra work to bring him to, to bring him to Jesus. So Jesus comes for, or I mean, sorry, the centurion comes to Jesus for this man or for this servant. And Jesus says, of course, I'll heal him. He, the man says, I, I need you to heal my servant. Jesus says, well, of course, I'll come. So here's a case, here's a situation where Jesus says, yes, I'll do it. I'll heal. You know, that seems to be one of the biggest questions, at least we, I have and, and we have within churches like ours, is does God still heal today? Does God still do things with his power to help people? Will he still move on, the, on behalf of individuals? Well, the answer is right there. He says, yes, I will. I'll come. I'll come and do it. God still heals today. But he doesn't always do it the way we think he should. We can't just put God into a box and say, okay, every single time I'm going to spit on some mud and I'm going to rub it on the bad part, you know, whatever's hurting you. Because he did that too, didn't he? He spit in mud, rubbed it in the guy's eyes the one time, and he could see. Praise God, we don't have a mud-spitting ministry. That that's just the way everything from now on has to work through spitting in mud, rubbing it in eyes. God can do anything he wants, any way that he wants, any time that he wants. And in this situation, this man, the centurion, understood it at a level that was much higher than anybody else understood it. Because Jesus said, he goes, I haven't seen such great faith in anyone else in Israel. This man was a centurion. He was a Roman soldier. Who were the Romans? Roman soldiers or Romans were, were those who had, had overtaken the country of Israel. They were an oppressing nation. They were, they were the conquerors. They were the, the ones who were, who were forcing the, the Israelites to live in a certain way, in a certain form, against their will. You know, Jesus could have said, I'm not helping you. Why would I want to help you? We're, you know, the next story we're going to listen to or we're going to go talk about is the Syrophoenician woman. And Jesus actually tells her, no, I'm not going to heal your daughter. He could have said that to the, to the centurion. But I believe that he wanted to show us something about the kingdom that is absolutely vital. We think that whenever a situation is that we need God to operate a certain way, that we need him to do it the way we think he should do it. And here he says, he takes a man who, who looks at the situation and goes, no, you don't, you know, because up until that point, Jesus either laid hands on somebody or, or he spit in the mud and, and did this, or he always did it in person. And all of a sudden, this man, who doesn't even know Jesus, had only heard about him, heard that he was doing these things, he surpasses everybody else because he says, oh no, you don't have to come here and do any of that stuff. Just say the word. Just speak. He says, he says, I'm a man under authority. He understood the kingdom better than the kingdom subjects did. We don't, we don't need to have a prayer line for you to get healed. We don't have to lay hands on you and, and you fall out in the, in the spirit for so long and have you know, somebody pick you up in a little bit. You don't have to have oil poured on you. Do you know that as a, as a subject of the kingdom, for the kingdom to work in your life, all you need is a word from God. 
It's that simple. Human beings make it harder. Well, I have to go to this meeting. I have to go to that meeting. I have to travel across the world here. I have to go to there because that's where God is moving. Years ago, I went to a meeting and uh, it was a big meeting. If I told you the name of the guy who was, who was leading the meeting, uh, you'd know who exactly who it is. You've heard of him before. So I went to this meeting and I was sitting in the minister's section. I'd rather have been sitting in the back. I like sitting in the back. But everybody, you know, the ministers all get to sit in front, and, and then afterwards you get, to, you get to, you know, shake hands with the speaker and all these kinds of things. And the, the speaker each night, you know, would come out and greet everybody, and, and then, you know, as the week went on, there came an opportunity. I saw him walking down the, 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 minister, down the rows of ministers, and he, was, he would shake their hand, and he'd, he'd hand them a card. And I'd, I'd hear him talking to the, to, to the people that he'd hand the card to. And as I heard him coming, I heard, you know, there's this reception. There, there's a bunch of people going to be hanging out with, together at this room, this reception room, with the speaker, this nationally known speaker, and, and uh, so on and so forth. And he's coming down the aisle. And so I'm standing there and with everybody else, you know, in, you know talking amongst ourselves. He comes up and he shakes the hand of the person next to me. And he goes, hey, here, here. He says, we're having a, a get-together afterwards. He says, why don't you come on out? Oh, thank you, the guy says. And, so he walks over to me and he goes, hey, how you doing? And then walks on to the guy standing next to me and he goes, oh, there's a, there's a reception afterwards. He handed a card out to everybody in that row except me. Being the super spiritual person that I am, <laughs> I was so stinking offended. I immediately was angry. I was immediately just like, oh, indignant. I mean, couldn't you have been a little more, you know, he didn't have to do it right in my face. Here's a card, here's a card. No, not you. Here's a card, here's a card, you know, and walk right on down the row. I was just, oh. And then as I was leaving, the people that I was with said, oh, yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to go change, and then we're going to go up to this thing. He says, you know, are you going to go with you? Know, are, are you ready? And I said, I didn't get a card. Oh, yeah, well, he must, it must have been a, you know, he must have wanted to give you a card, just forgot. I said, no, no. He looked me straight in the eye and, and you know, uh, no, I didn't get a card. I'm not going. I didn't, I'm not going because it's not what I, I was mad. I was hurt. I'm not going up there. <laughs> I'm not going up there. So they all got ready and left. They left me. They left me in my room, sitting all by myself in my pity party. <sighs> so I'm sitting there and I'm feeling sorry. For, I wish I could tell you a really great testimony of how I just, you know, walked through this with, you know, grace and peace and all. It's not true. I, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was mad. I was, oh, you know, fine. And I'm sitting there. I didn't cry, but I thought about it. I felt like it. And I was sitting there all by myself, and I just, and I finally got to the point, I was like, you know what, forget it. You know, it's not, it's not that important. I really did. I was just like, you know what, it's not that big a deal. So what? So I got snubbed by a nationally known ministry. <sighs> it won't be, it wasn't the last. It, it wouldn't be the last, and it wasn't the last, true. But I'm just sitting there going, you know what, God, I'm sorry. That's dumb. How dumb is that? Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. 
You know, it had more to do with me and my character than it had to do with anything else. Because God, God doesn't really care who I know and who I don't know. He doesn't care what I get and what I don't. He cares about my character. And he was, he was getting rid of something out of me that, that had, to be getting, you know, had to be dealt with. So I sat there and I said, Lord, I repent. I am so sorry. Father, forgive me. And then very clearly the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, that's all right, I'm hanging out here with you. I was like, oh my goodness. How dumb is that? How dumb is, is that I have to be somewhere to be recognized, somewhere to, to have uh, 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 acceptance and this and that, when the God of all the universe wants to spend time with me as an individual. Personal relationship. It isn't about jumping through hoops. It isn't about having uh, you know, the right uh, uh, resume, the right person's name on your resume. It has everything to know with knowing Jesus Christ. About knowing him and knowing who he is. And that he is able to do what, anything that he wants to do when he wants to do it. So when this man says, hey, you don't have to come to my house. You don't have to show up and you don't have to do all this stuff. He says, all you have to do is speak the word. I trust you so much. I believe you so much that you don't have to prove yourself, Jesus. You speak the word and I believe you. And Jesus said, wow, that's faith. That is faith. He doesn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to, to jump through anybody's hoops to be who, he's, who he is. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to do anything grand, spectacular. He did do a bunch of things that were grand and spectacular. He still can do things that are grand and spectacular, but the, 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 the way the kingdom really works is that he speaks his word to people that trust him and they believe him. That's the kingdom. Jesus, I need you to heal my servant. Jesus says, all right, I'll heal him. Let's go. No, don't. You don't need to come. Just speak the word. And it says that when he got home, the servant was healed. Authority. Authority. But it's the trust and the belief in that authority. That he will do what he says that he'll do. He is a God of his word. He is a God of his word. If he says he'll do something, it's a done deal. Start making room for it. Start getting ready for it. Start, start preparing for that word to come, for, come true. The kingdom is about knowing him. It's about knowing that, that he is that trustworthy. The thing is, you're going to be tested. As a part of the kingdom, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. Your, your faith, your trust in him is going to be brought right to the edge. And it's, and it's very, very possibly going to be shaken for everything that it's worth. But do you trust him? Do you trust that he's got it under control? Do you trust that he is, he is able to do what he says he can do? Because when you trust that, when you put your trust in him, when you believe that he says, you know, that God says, I'm going to do this for you. Whether it's through the word, 
He, he speaks to us through the word, through, through a ram of words directly to us, but he also just speaks to our heart. He says things that we can, we can trust in, and that when he says those things, we can act upon it and believe it and trust it, and it's so. Even in the worst possible situations. I still remember the, uh, it's a number of years ago now, it's 2008. January of 2008. Actually, it's probably about this week when it happened, when, when, the, when the whole thing finalized. About, so what's that, 2008, five years ago? Math. I'm glad I have a wife who knows math and I, I can rely on that. But I had had, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, midnight, it was actually at midnight, and as I'm waking up, I don't even know what's happening in the room yet. That as I'm waking up, I hear these words in my head as clear as day. Atrial fibrillation. I hear these words. I just, I mean, I, I, as I'm waking up, I hear these words. Atrial fibrillation. As I wake up, I feel like there are two squirrels running around inside my body. It was the weirdest thing I have ever felt in my life. I mean, I, my whole body was shaking. My, it, was, it was coming from my chest, but I could feel it through my whole body. And I just woke up and thought, what in the world? But I had heard those words, atrial fibrillation. And I laid there for a while, and <clears throat> I thought, this is not right. There is something wrong. So I wake up my wife, and I said, Deb, I said, I think there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something with my heart. And she goes, go back to sleep. She did. I'm just going to tell the story the way it happened. <laughs> Let the chips fall where they... She's good at math. Yes, amen. <laughs> uh, I love my wife so much. But I'm laying there and I go back to sleep thinking, okay, if I just go back to sleep and relax, this is going to stop. I woke up an hour later and it's even worse. My whole body's shaking. Everything just, oh, I don't feel good. And I said, Deb, I said, I gotta, I gotta go to the doctor. This is not good. There is something wrong. And the kids were sleeping, so we couldn't just leave them there. I said, and she goes, Do you need me to drive? I said, Do you want me to call an ambulance? I said, No, nah, I'll drive myself. So, whatever. It's only just a ways down there. So I, I get in the car. I drive down there. I walk in. It's amazing when you walk into a hospital and you say you're having heart trouble. You are the most important person in the universe at that point. Everybody focuses. So I go in, you know, through the whole thing, and they do all the tests, and this and the guy, and the guy is watching the heart monitor, and he's looking at me, and he goes, well, he says, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Which one do you want first? And I said, go ahead and give me the bad news. And he goes, well, the bad news is you get a room for the night. And I said, okay, what's the good news? And he goes, well, the good news is you're not going to die from this. And I said, well, okay, good. That's, you know, you, it's a good thing you want to hear. <clears throat> So I spent the night where I got there, got, got into a room, I'm laying there in bed, and all of a sudden you know, it starts to hit me, what is going on? My heart is not, they're telling me your heart is out of rhythm, it's, it, it's, there's all kinds of different reasons this could happen, and this and that, we're going to try some different things, some medical things, some blah, 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 we're going to, this and that, and it could be this, and you know, they, you know, they give you all the information. They said, but well, we're just going to keep you for overnight at least, and maybe for a couple of days. Well, I'm laying there that night, and I'm laying in bed, I'm going, okay, God, you got my attention. What's the deal? 
what's going on? What's, what's happening? Is there something? Is it, did I miss something? Did I, did I do something wrong? Well, I, mean, what's, I mean, I'm not feeling sorry for him. Oh, God, why are you doing it? I'm just like, what's going on here, God? There's something going on. What is going on? And I'm laying there, and I fall asleep. I fall asleep, and I have this dream. This dream is as real to me today as it was that night when it happened. In this dream, I, walk, I, I remember walking into a school. And, and I can see the hallways. I can still see the hallways. Blue lockers, but there's a hallway that went this way, and there was a hallway that went this way. And I walk into the school, and there's all these people walking around, all these kids, all these students walking around in this school. And I walk in, I mean, and the first thought I had was, this is a tough school. I mean, you know, it was like an inner city school. It was, you know, the, the people look tough. The people look, you know, uh, uh, rough, tough, you know, and they, you know, no messing around. They're, and they're very serious, and everybody's, oh, you know, kind of like that. And I, and I was like, the first thought that pops into my head is, this is a tough school. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, one of the students walks up to me, and he has a knife. And he holds the knife up to my throat and he says, I'm going to kill you. I still remember that. Just not a good feeling. Made me want to start doing Krav Maga. Right from there. Sorry. I was like, this is not good. He goes, I'm going to kill you. He's staring at me. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you right here. And I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? And I look over to my right, and there's a, there's a guy standing right here. And he's, and he's not real tall. He's about this tall. And he's got dark hair, and he's got a, a full black beard, and he's standing about this tall. He's wearing like a, 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 a wool coat, like a black, like a, a, a seafarer, like a, a longshoreman's coat. And he's got this beanie hat on his head, and he looks tough. Man, this guy is tough. And he's standing right next to me. And I look over, and I know him. He's standing right there, and I know exactly who he is. I'm like, I recognize him immediately. He doesn't look like any of the pictures we see, but he was just, I knew him. It was like I knew who he was, and it was Jesus. And I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, okay, help me. And this guy's still standing with a knife in my throat. He's, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you right here. I'm going to kill you right now. And I'm looking over, and Jesus is just standing there going, And in my head, I'm, I'm just screaming out, going, why don't you do something? Help me. And this guy is still standing, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you right here, right now. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. I'm thinking, Jesus, why don't you do something? And it just goes on, it just keeps going on. And finally this guy goes, and don't forget that, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you right. He turns around and he walks away. I look over at Jesus like, what was that? And why didn't you do something? And he goes, hey, he says, I'm going to show you how to get through this school. I'm going to take you out the other side. Follow me. And he starts walking. He starts walking down the hallway, and I start following him. We walk down this hallway. We walk down that hallway. We walk down this hall. We start walking down this, this through this school. And it's a tough school, and, I'm th and I'm, I don't know where I'm at. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on here. And he's just leading and I'm following. And we're walking along, and all of a sudden I can tell we're almost, we're almost out. I can, I can see the exit sign. And, I, and I, just in my heart, I knew we were close to the end. And as we're walking along, all of a sudden that same guy with the knife walks up to me again, and now he's got a gun. And he points the gun right in my chest, and he says, I'm going to kill you. 
and I'm going to kill you right now. And I, my first thought is, Jesus, where are you? And I look over, and he's sitting. He was sitting on a register, legs crossed, watching. I'm thinking, what in the world? In my head, I'm crying out, Jesus, help me. And this guy's saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you right here. I'm going to kill you. Before you get out of here, I'm going to kill you. And I'm looking over at Jesus, and he's just watching what's going on. I'm thinking, what is the deal? And I'm standing there, and, and this goes on for a while, and I, can look, and I look down at the gun. And I look down at the gun, and I know a little bit about guns, and I look down, and there's no bullets in the gun. And all of a sudden, a peace flooded over me. I don't care. I mean, he could threaten all day long, but he wasn't going to. He could pull the trigger, and nothing was going to happen. He could not kill me. And I just looked at him, and I said, "You can't do anything." And he goes, "Yeah, and you don't forget that." And he walks away. And Jesus looks up to me. He goes, "You ready to go?" And I said, "Yeah." And we walked. And as soon as we walked out the door, I woke up. And I said. Wow. I said, okay, what was that all about? And he says, you're going to go through a tough school. He says, the next 30 days are going to be really tough. But he says, the reason you're going to walk through this is you need to toughen up. You need to trust me that I got this under control, that I've got this taken care of. You need to trust me, and you need to toughen up. The doctor came in the next day and told me all the things that could happen, why, why this was bad and why that was bad. But also, you know, this, you know, this is treatable, blah, blah, blah. We go through the whole thing. They, my heart never did convert on its own. It stayed in that same rhythm for, for, for a number of days. The other thing that happened is we were walking out to school. Jesus said to me, he says, this is going to last for 30 days. You're going to walk through this school for 30 days. So I'm talking to the doctor, and he goes, you know, he says, I don't know how long this has been going on because I'd had symptoms before, and I didn't know what it was, and I'd ignored them. Don't do that. Public service announcement. He says, I'm not sure how long this is happening. He says, so I don't dare do what they call a conversion right now. He says, I need you to go on some medicine for, for a month, and then we'll talk about doing this, about possibly if it doesn't change by then, then we'll, we'll do this conversion. And so for the next three weeks, took the drugs, did all the things that we we're supposed to do. The, the doctor saying, but I, all the way through, I'm learning stuff. I'm learning things about, about the kingdom of God, who God is, and that his word is true. I go into the doctor, and he goes, well, it hasn't converted yet. He said, so I'll tell you what. He says, we're going to have to do this conversion. And he says, when do you want to do it? And I said, you know, I, I, we could do it anytime you want, doctor. He goes, well, he says, I'm really busy tomorrow, and I can't really, I'm not going to be here the day after. And and in my heart, I already knew exactly when it was going to happen because 30 days was Friday. And he's looking at his schedule and he goes, you know what, let's do it Friday. I said, sounds good to me. Come all the way to Friday. Anybody who's ever had to go in for a procedure, anybody who's ever had to go under, go under uh, uh, general anesthesia, I was nervous because you, know, you hear all those horror stories, what could possibly happen. People love to tell you stuff like that right before you go under. So I'm laying there, and, and this peace completely floods over me because I remember the end, of the, the end of, the, of the dream. There's no bullets. He can't kill me. 
Because Satan is telling me, I'm going to kill you. I'm gonna, you're going to die on the table. Because what they have to do is stop your heart and then restart your heart. I don't like that. I mean, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but that's just, you know. They're going to stop my heart and then restart my heart. Okay. But I'm laying there on the table, and the peace of God completely flooded over me. Did the conversion, woke up minutes later, whatever, however long it was, and God have had no trouble since then. You know, Satan keeps trying, the symptoms try to come back every once in a while. Absolutely not in Jesus' name. God can do what he says he will do. He said he was going to take me through the school. He told me that, you know, he showed me that I wasn't going to die. He showed me that it was going to be 30 days. and it was, Every one of those things were, came true. But he sat there. Do you know that he sat there and didn't do anything? I had to be the one to stand. When I thought it was the worst, when I thought things were, were horrible, when I thought, and I'm looking at it going, come on, help me, God. Why aren't you doing something? He was waiting for me to stand. He was waiting for me to believe him and to keep moving forward. Turn to the other story. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as he heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And this was Jesus' answer. First let the children eat all they want, he told her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Wow, a lot of compassion, Jesus. Thank you so much. Do you know who the Syrian Phoenicians were? This woman was a descendant of the Canaanites. I did some research on who these people were. They were the original Canaanites that, that uh, Joshua and the Israelites drove out of Israel. They're the ones that survived. So here is this woman. This is a woman who has been, you know, that, that God kicked out of the, the promised land, who God used the Israelites to drive them out, to kill as many as possible, to destroy them off the face of the earth. And, and because of their disobedience, the Israelites didn't do it, and so there was some left. This was one of those women. This woman came to Jesus. She had no right to the covenant. She had no right to expect anything from God. But yet she believed that if she asked, he would be, he'd be merciful and gracious. And so she walked in. She, you know, she came into his presence. He's hiding out. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. And so she comes in and says, hey, Jesus, my, my daughter is suffering. Please help her. Thinking that you know, she's coming to this gracious, loving, uh, one, you know, amazing man of God who's going who's gonna to help her. And his answer is, why would I want to give it to dogs? Leave me alone. If that was most of us, and, and Jesus even says later, he says, Israel, there's, the, the people of Israel don't even understand this. We would have been offended. We'd be offended. Oh, God tells me to just, you know, you know what, don't, don't worry about it. You're not going to get healed. Just, just go, you know, leave, leave your daughter alone. You know, just go ahead and leave. She's going to be, you know, don't, you know, I don't care if she's demon-possessed. That's a horrible answer. 
But she doesn't stop there. She doesn't take no for an answer. She doesn't quit. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Her answer was this, verse 28, Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the girl lying on the bed and the demon gone. Here's another case where he, didn't ha- he was not actually there. He didn't have to go there. And, it, and he, was, he rejected her. She asked him, I mean, of all the things, Lord, heal my, heal my child. Help her. He, she wasn't asking for herself. She wasn't asking for, for, for great riches. She wasn't asking for any of those things. Lord, help my daughter. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to give you any of the, the bread meant for the children. You're, you're a dog. Get out of here. But here's this woman who does not deserve anything from God because she was one of the ones kicked out and she says, yeah, but I'll, I'll take the crumbs that fall on the floor. And he went, oh. One of the, one of the, trans, one of the uh, uh, gospels says, another place where he says, I, have never, I haven't seen such great faith. That she didn't give up. She didn't quit when it didn't look good, when it didn't work out the way, initially the way she thought it should. She didn't quit. She didn't stop. One more really quick story. One more ver- or, uh, passage. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who, came, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How many times do we give up when we ask God and it doesn't happen when we think it should? How many times when it seems that God says, no, do we stop? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, Lord, can I do something wrong? And he says, no. I'm talking about biblical truth, biblical expectation, biblical promises, Holy Spirit-led promises that he leads us, that we can, we can expect and we can walk in. But if it seems like it's no, if the answer is no, you're not going to get it. How many of us just give up? How many of us are going to keep fighting for days, weeks, months, years, and going, you know what? I'm not stopping. God, I believe that you can do this. You're a good God. Your your character is good. Your promises are yes and amen. And I, I... 
I see it scripturally. I see it right here. It's, it, it, it says that you can do these things, and I haven't seen it yet, but you know what? I have, I have a right to more than just the crumbs. I have a right to the bread. So if you gave it to her, I'm not stopping. God, I'm expecting you to do this. No, not yet. Okay, well, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay in faith. How does the kingdom work? The kingdom is, when, when, when you're a part of a kingdom, there's, a, there's an agreement. You work for the king, you, 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 you serve the king, you do all these things, but in that kingdom then, whatever he has is yours, and his, his uh, part of the bargain is, he's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. He's going to supply for you. The king always took care of the, of the citizens. A good king did, and we serve a good king. But when it doesn't happen the way we want it to, or when we want it to, or, or in the timing, or, or you know, whatever it may be, how many of us just quit? Uh, I, guess, I guess it doesn't work today anymore. I guess that was only for 2,000 years ago. I guess that was for only when Jesus walked on the earth. When Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Tenacious faith. Unreasonable faith. Unreasonable, meaning, meaning that you don't deserve it. Well, I can show you scriptures right here where, it does, where I don't deserve it. You know what? I'm going to believe him anyway. What have you got to lose? What does she have to lose? The only, she could go back home and her daughter was still, you know, had the demon. She, she stuck in there and said, no, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I don't des she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve She wasn't in the covenant. She wasn't part of the first covenant even. And yet she says, yeah, but I know, you're, I know who you are. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't kick the dogs away from eating the crumbs off the floor. You're a good man. There's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff right now. I don't have to name names. You know who you are. I know who I am. <laughs> There's a lot of us going through stuff. And we're believing. We're having to believe that God is, is who he says he is. And we're having to believe that the Bible is what it says. I am just, I don't have anything else to stand on, guys. If it wasn't for the word of God, then we're all by ourselves here. And we're all in, we have nothing else to stand on. So at that point, we do have the word of God. Let's live like we do. Let's expect, let's trust like we actually, that it's true. Because it is. It is true. But it means really trusting him, really believing. And when it doesn't, you know, God, I need you to come through today. And if he says, nope, not today. Well, okay. I mean, that's why that story about Karchi is so powerful. He came to the end of his rope. He had no other way to turn to get that visa. It was done. It was a done deal. He did everything that he could do. He did all of everything in his strength he could do, and he went to God and says, God, it's in your hands. I can't do this. Walked out the door, and God took care of him. Now this last week, they, went to, they took the next step. The next step was they, were, they had to go down to Bucharest, number hundreds of miles away and apply 
put all the paperwork in, stand before the American consulate to receive their visa, and the consulate person looked at him and said, no, rejected it, sent him back home. We got a call saying they got rejected. Okay, we should just give up, right? We should just quit. Let's just quit. You know, I'm tired. I guess bureaucracy is just too strong for God. No. In the name of Jesus, they're coming. I'm believing it. I believe. And God has moved in so many ways up until this point. I see his hand moving them in this direction. I'm going to stand on that. Do I have a scripture that says they shall come forth? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. You know, wish I did. They're going to come in Jesus' name. I believe it. They're going to they're go and they're going to reapply. And they may get rejected again. You know what we're going to do? We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep knocking. We're going to keep seeking. Because we're not going to give up. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sometimes you have to say stuff and do stuff that puts you out over the edge. God loves it when you stick your neck out. All week long I've been trying to figure out why, Lord, am I having to... Because it seems like this isn't... It didn't fit all week long until all of a sudden I just said what I just said and all of a sudden it made sense. God wants us to stick our neck out. He wants us to believe him so much that we just say, I have nothing left. You're my only answer. You're the only answer I have. You're the only one who can solve this. You're the only one who can change this. You know what, God? I trust you. Because I have nothing else. And there are times when he has to get you to that point. Because everywhere else you will always rely upon yourself. You'll always rely on your own strength. You'll always, I've been reading through Gen or Exodus about Moses leading the people out of Israel. I mean, they got rejected and rejected and rejected and God kept doing bigger miracles and they rejected and bigger plagues and they rejected, rejected and rejected. I mean, I was reading through and going, okay, how many were there again? It was 10. Day after day, week after week, power of God moving. Rejected, rejected, rejected. And then God did it. They had nowhere else to turn. They could not get out themselves. They could not solve it themselves. You are in situations right now where you cannot solve it. Some of us are still deluding ourselves thinking we can. And we're wasting our time. Because you can't. God, I can't solve any of these problems. I can't, I'm not smart enough to figure this stuff out. So Lord, here's the deal. It's you. It always was you, but I'm finally actually going to admit it. It's you. I need you, Lord. I need you to fix it. I need you to deal with it. I need you to, to move. And Lord, I trust you. All you have to do is send your word, and it's so. And when we get there, he goes, yes. Finally, somebody who believes me. You've heard this before. 
What is the currency of heaven? What moves God? What moves the hand of God? It's not need. There's all kinds of need in the world. Faith. Believing him. Believing him that he'll do what he says he'll do and then acting upon it. Putting yourself out there and trusting him. That moves the hand of God. And sometimes we have to stick our neck out there and, and say and do things that make no sense whatsoever. They're coming. They're going to come. It's going to be amazing. Their way is going to be covered. It's gonna, the, you know, the tickets are going to be paid for. They're coming. In Jesus' name. Not because we're smart. Not because we have it figured out. Because I have no idea how it's going to happen. But they're coming. Amen? Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Jen for the moment we've all been waiting for. I'll give you this one. Be ready. Okay, well, we have the chili uh, is, I think they're getting ready to put that